Hello, and welcome to the Games Deflators podcast. My name is James. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are we, what happened? Are we in season one or are we in season two? What happened here, man? I'm here. So Ryan's here. John's here. How the hell is James here? Because I'm a master of time and space. You asked too many questions, sir. I'm I'm totally <laughs> confused, but all right. So Game of Flavors podcast. What what season is this? Episode season two. Episode nine. Just, all right. Just let it happen. Just, just let, let it. All right. We'll let it happen. All right. So Game you're of on Flavors the Game Deflators podcast. Every week we try to keep space and time in the right order. Talk about games that we've recently picked up, games that we're currently playing, and then every week we do. Well, we used to do the crappy game challenge, and now we do the inflation deflation. See, which... that's why I'm totally confused, because season one was crappy game challenge. Season two is inflation deflation. James is here. You're here. I'm here. I don't know what's going on. We're going to have a little bit of blend of the both. I certainly have a crappy game challenge for y'all. Okay. That's and good. we do have Vampire Night from last week to talk about still. So we can merge it. That works. All right. Hey, man. to it. Jesus. All right. Okay. So let's uh, open up. We are going to discuss our new pickups this week. So I'll quickly go first. I don't have a lot this week. I picked up a copy of Pokemon Silver on the Game Boy Color, I guess. I've got probably five copies of that, so I'll flip out a quick battery and go trade it or something. Um, Get a little flip on that so I can put it towards something else. And I also got, finally, a copy of ZOE on the PS2. Picked up the other day for three bucks. So not too shabby of a pickup. It's a game that I played years ago, probably when I was in middle school. Haven't actually touched it since. So at some point, I'll probably pop it in, see if it's any good compared to, you know, what I remember. And we'll go from there. I tried that a while ago when I got the remake bundle Uh collection. It's all right. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I remember being super into it when I was a kid and, uh, it, it had some troubles with it. Uh, I, I don't know if if it was intentional to try to stop people from cheating or what, but if you use codes to restore your health because you're a young kid and you're not very good at the game, it takes away a level when you do so. So by the time you get to the end of the game and you're facing a bunch of high-level enemies and you're level three because you've used all your levels to restore your health, it doesn't turn out so well. All right, so I've come to the conclusion after hearing what you said, James will likely chime in here in just a moment. This game will sit on my shelf. I, I bought it mostly to play uh, the second game and because I have a deep, deep love for the Game Boy Advance game that not many people... I've never talked to anybody else that's played it really, but uh, I've heard that the sequel was really good. And after trying to play the remake of Zone of the Enders 1, I never even got to the second one. Gotcha. James, do you have pickups this week? I do have pickups. I was actually going to say, I do recall back in the day that um, everyone got a free Zone of the Enders when when they bought the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. Um, Completely worth it. Um, Never bothered to play Zone of the Enders, but buying the demo was totally worth it. It was totally tits. Um, as far as my pickups this week, I have picked up Saldom Drop, if I'm saying that correctly, on the Switch. Um, honestly, I picked it up because it was six bucks on clearance at Walmart. So you're going to ask me if I want a, a $10 or less Switch game. It could be 
a dog turd inside the package, I would probably buy it just on sure principle of the cartridge tax. Um, what that, sounds like, uh, that sounds like Ryan. Hey, it's a dollar. Why not? Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, dollar. But why I, not? I, I buy digital. That's true. So I, I don't even get the, the actual price of the plastic. Okay, <laughs> so you basically get the little poop emoji is what you're saying. No, no. Uh, actually, <laughs> some of those games are pretty good. I still haven't played all of them, but and they're I've just got a dollar. fast collection for a low price. And they're just yeah, man. He's got and they're just beat. a dollar. Exactly. He's gonna play, and he's gonna end up spending the money on the SD cards to hold all the games. <laughs> uh, the uh, the one pickup that I did get this week that was intentional and actually got delayed by a couple of months, and then funny enough, it got delayed in shipping. Uh, was uh, oh, our boy. brother is. Uh, Salt and Sanctuary, the Drowned Tome Edition. I've had it on a PC, actually, for about a year or so, and I got to play a little bit of it on PC, and then I saw that it was getting a physical release with some neat bonuses like the cloth map and things like that, and I was like, you know what? I really you know, kind of dig this game. It's a, a bit of a 2D Dark Souls, and not just one of the, the typical you know, Soulsborne knockoffs. It's... Um, Similar enough, but it has its own thing. And the fact that it's very strictly two-dimensional with some pretty decent combat, it's uh, it's one I would recommend checking out. Um, even if you don't want to get it on Switch, if you're a PC gamer, you can pick it up on a Steam sale that will be coming up soon for Christmas for relatively cheap. I'm sure it'll hit around $5 or less. So and, let, uh, me, let me know how that plays on the Switch, actually. So that, that game, as a matter of fact, is on my Amazon wish list. It's been on there for mm-hmm. a while now since I first you know, saw it was coming out on switch. So definitely let me know how that plays out. Um, you know, when you get a chance on the switch itself. I mean, I picked it up on Vita like a year mm-hmm. and a half ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a balls hard game. Like I had a tough time getting through, but once I found a class that I liked and started like actually getting into the mindset of, okay, this is going to be a challenging 2d slow action combat game. I had a lot of fun with it. I didn't get very far, but I mean, it's, it was really good on Vita. I liked it for the portability, mm-hmm. but uh, I can imagine that it's going to be even better on switch with like a, a nice big screen where you can really take it all in. Cause that Vita is one of my favorite systems, but that screen's just kind of small to really focus in on something where you're worried about challenge. That is true. That's uh, something I've noticed. Like I do enjoy my 3DS and I enjoy my Vita quite a bit, but some games are a little too small for it to be comfortably viewed. Uh, Same thing with the PSP as well. Uh, Ryan, since you're a Vita gamer, have you played um, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon yet? Um, I wouldn't call myself a, a Vita gamer. I love the Vita, but I have not played bloodstained yet i am kind of waiting for i i don't know i i want to play it i've seen a lot about it i'm not a big time castlevania guy like my first Mm -hmm. castlevania was uh dawn of sorrow on the 3ds and i had a ton of fun with that game all the multiple endings and stuff and the Mm -hmm. guidebook that you actually had to flip over and then look at the back side of the pages to get the other half of the story i I had a lot of fun with uh that kind of stuff but i just the old school like uh castlevania one and two that nes style i i never really played any of those 
I can also confirm that Ryan is interested in other types of stains, so not blood stains. Womp, in, womp, indeed. Womp. I'm a big time bounty man, the quicker picker upper. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, nice I, I really I pegged you for um, a Phoenix guy personally. Well, to make it more appealing to you, that is a, a digital only game. Um, oh, that reminds me, actually, since we're talking about the Vita. Um, this obviously pertains to the PS3 and the Vita. If you guys um, either didn't get the email or didn't notice, it hasn't been mentioned in the news uh, that I've seen, but um, the PlayStation Plus, the free games, uh, they are ending the support for the PS3 and the Vita. So that essentially means you'll still obviously have the games you've already downloaded uh, free and things like that, but they won't be putting out any new free ones. It'll just be PS4 games from now on. Yeah, I got the email. I think it ends in March of 2019, if I'm correct. Oh, so we still have a crap load of time. Jeez. Yeah, yeah I feel I feel really bad. I've been neglecting my... like. It was crazy when I got my PS4, because I got my PS4 for Final Fantasy 15. I just... Mm-hmm. I gave up on PlayStation 3. I bought a PlayStation 3, and then I sold it for rent money, and then I didn't buy a another one until gta 5 launched and i got a killer deal on a bundle but i waited until the slim ps4 came out because i knew there was going to be one i waited until mm-hmm. the second gen vita came out because i knew there was going to be one like i'm done buying first gen consoles and i love my switch to death but they're coming out with a new switch next year and i'm really happy with the time i've spent with my switch but I think I've really learned my lesson. Like I'd rather wait till the console's halfway into its lifespan buy a second gen console. That's got all the bugs fixed on it. And uh, it's half the price and thinner and has any updates they did to it. Like I'd rather wait for that than go all in on a first gen console anymore. You mean you didn't like being one of the millions that owned an original Xbox 360? Uh, I had three Xbox 360s. <laughs> and they all counted towards Microsoft's bottom line. Well, so the first one I red ringed, sent that in, and it red ringed like three months after they stopped doing like my, my serial number was like three months past the date for the cutoff for when I sent it in. And I talked to some guy on tech support and he hooked me up and he got me in for free. So I didn't have to pay the hundred dollars or whatever, just the shipping. So that was fine. And then I got the, uh, the star Wars connect edition 360, which is super dope, but I had to box it up and put it away because it was having problems. Like after I moved, I mean, this was two years ago. And it, I had already owned it for like three years. It got to the point where I just wouldn't connect reliably to live services to go on fucking YouTube. That sucks, man. Well, uh, James, do you have any other pickups for this week that you had? Uh, I want to say yes, but honestly, they're probably from last week or week before. That had been really busy, so it's a little hard for me to keep track. Those two popped in my head because they literally arrived in the last day or so. Well, I'm, I'm sure Ryan maybe had like $5 that he spent to get like eight games. So I definitely want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I had some pickups this week. I picked up my Switch and played the copy of uh, Enter the Gungeon that I bought 
before totally. the last podcast, and I, I just kept picking that up all week. And then I also finally picked up Red Dead Online. Not a new game for me, because I'm still trying to go through the story mode, but, uh, man, Red Dead Online is it's pretty fun. I've got five people in my group of friends that we're all getting online and playing together. So it's a bunch of fun, especially after the rebalance they did. I don't know if you guys heard anything about that, but um, when Red Dead launched its online service, it kind of tiered it out in a way to test the servers. And, uh, you know, the better the version you bought and the earlier you bought it, the more beta time you had in, like, the beta week to play. And I guess there was enough blowback from people talking about how expensive everything was and how much of a grind it was. Like, just as an example, most of the guns that they had in the, you know, the same guns that you played with in the main campaign, but online were $100 to almost twice the value that they are now. And they did a thing, um, I think it was just a few days ago or last Thursday or something. I can't remember exactly when the cutoff was, but if you had played Red Dead online up to that point, they would give you $250 and 15 gold bars to your character to give you like a head start boost because before with the way that they had balanced the game people were making 50 cents a mission and it would take eight hours to grind out a gold bar which is like their premium currency and i mean think about how much you need to do of that in order to buy a gun for 440 dollars like and then they drop it down to 266 so it's like all the grinding that they were expecting to put in in order to sell premium currency, which I haven't even looked into exactly how you can buy premium currency. I know you can earn it in-game slowly over time. I assume that there's a way that they can, you know, charge you for it because you can pay, you know, you can pay for something with a ton of cash or just a couple gold bars, mm. you know, for that that accelerated boost but it's a little bit more balanced than i was actually expecting it to be because of the level and rank restrictions so i got my 250 bucks i got my 15 gold bars i ran into town to go to the store i got shot by a 12 year old and respawned <laughs> outside of the town and then i ran back into the town and just dove into the store because it's instanced and they can't kill you while you're actually in the shop. So what you're saying is that you wussed out to a 12-year-old on Red Dead? Uh, dude, when's the last time you played with 12-year-olds online? Uh, back when it was a 360, I was playing Halo, and everybody's telling me they slept with my mom. They all did, John. <laughs> so they're vicious. We all know that. Oh, my God, dude. So I spent all of the 250 <laughs> On the $266 shotgun that I bought. So it's like I, bl I blew everything they gave me right out the gate. and um, But at least I got something for my trouble. You know, I didn't play very much 
before that time, I basically got on and was like, okay, I better make sure that I get on enough before they make this balance so that I get that money and stuff. So it's, um, it's just really fun. It's like, it's everything that fallout should have waited three more months to release fallout 76 to be like, Hey, what's, what's the difference between red dead online and fallout 76? Well, it's a really cool world that you already built with really cool stuff in it. And what people want to do is do that with their friends. Like fallout four was serviceable and, you know, fine. Nobody needed to go to West Virginia to play with their friends. You could have released a fucking patch and made Fallout 4 like multiplayer and people would have gone back and played Fallout 4 again. I mean, God knows how many times people have played Skyrim again. Like, they could have sold a whole new version of Fallout 4 and made more money with less development time and people would like it better than what they did with Fallout 76. Like, it, it's completely... It blows my mind with all the stuff that's been going on between those two games and how much I liken them to one another as two prominent studios, one making great next-level decisions in their game development and one dropping the ball so hard that they've achieved the lowest rating in a game franchise and a studio history by releasing a buggy, unpolished, money-grubbing thing and then, you know, attacking the fans over their own misinterpretation of a freaking bag that came as a pre-order bonus for a $200 version of the game. Like, the way they've handled it is absolutely ridiculous and the juxtaposition of that to how well Rockstar's handled Red Dead and Red Dead Online, like... They released Red Dead and then waited like a month or more to release the online version because they were like, we made a big, beautiful, single-story game that we want our people to actually play. And then we'll release online. Well, it's because Rockstar, historically, in my mind, has always just had a better knack for releasing games and letting them live out you know, a, a good longevity. So different people can go ahead and play that game over a longer lifespan. I mean, Grand Theft Auto, we're on Grand Theft Auto 5, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously Liberty City stories and all those other little sidebar things. But, I mean, think about when Grand Theft Auto 1 came out and then Grand, Fa- Grand Theft Auto 5. I mean, the difference in time between those games is much greater than Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. And, uh, they support their games for a lot longer too. They each um, game they release has a, a much longer lifespan. There's still events and support and uh, content being added for Grand Theft Auto Five Online, uh, things like that. If you notice, for the most part, Rockstar they they don't release games as rapidly, nearly as rapidly as most game companies nowadays. There's usually several years between each release. I mean, Grand Theft Auto Five came out three, four years ago. Um, 
something like that quite a while ago when you think about it in terms of uh, video games compared to Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty, you know, the easy ones to pick on. Um, but that it's still going strong as far as sales. Um, and just that they're still like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to patch this and continue to fix this and add content. And, you know, while we're making this other blockbuster game, we're going to keep this one going because people are playing it, you know? You know, my friends, they were playing grand theft auto five online, basically up until the point of release of red dead. And Mm -hmm. also for anyone who hadn't heard grand theft auto five is the best selling piece of media ever made it has outsold every film television show and movie it is the most profitable piece of media humankind has ever made which obviously goes back into rockstar not needing to release 10 different games in the span of three or four years we want bully 2 that's actually what i was going to bring up that's (laughs) that's what what we need next is bully 2 and then we're all set so um James, are you currently playing anything? I mean, obviously, Ryan's playing Into the Gungeon and, and Red Dead. Um, I don't want to go deep into playing more Pokemon on the Switch, just outside of, uh, I guess we want to touch on it. Yeah, if we want to touch on it, I'm, I'm on the sixth gym badge, basically. Just got done with Sylphco. That, that's about it. That's where I'm at. I literally haven't gone in, scrolled over to the Pokemon icon, and hit the A button in two weeks. So you're still and on I Mount Moon. I feel fine. You're still on Mount Moon. <laughs> I'm still on Mount Moon. Uh, that's where he's at. Okay. He won't beat uh, that game. As soon I won't. As I, won't. I, I gave up. This was a really good idea. Let's do a Pokemon challenge. And then I was just like, man, this is the same Pokemon, just with different stuff that I like more, but not enough to compel me to keep going. This bastard got me to buy Pokemon on the Switch, and I was like, yeah, I'll play it for Ryan. And he picked up my copy for me. Yeah, right? So a week in, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's pretty good. I should have a beat in a week. Well, here we are three weeks later, and here's Ryan saying, I'm still in Mount Moon at level 10. I'm I'm not in Mount Moon. My game avatar is in Mount Moon. I am clearly elsewhere. Not playing Pokemon. Not even thinking about it. I right, said, so James, you're uh, you're currently playing. Wow. Yeah. As soon as y'all started talking about Pokemon, all I could see and hear in my head was uh, Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds just yelling, Nerds! Um, sorry. I, I still have yet to actually sit down and play a Pokemon in a game in my entire life, other than like a few minutes of Pokemon Stadium. Um, obviously, it's on the to-do list, but... As far Pick as up what Pokemon I'm... Pinball for Game, Co- Game Boy Color. That's a good one. <laughs> I have the Pokemon trading game on Game Boy Color. I was going to say stake very clear of that game. Ah, too late. Uh, currently, um, I'm getting pretty good at the art of juggling multiple games and never quite finishing. So I did actually finish the story mode of Spider-Man on PS4. Rather, The Amazing Spider-Man on PS4. Excellent, excellent game. I've started on the first part of the DLC. Uh, I believe it's called The Heist. And although the DLC so far is a little bit of the same, they are mixing things up enough to keep it interesting enough. Um, Obviously, anyone who has a PS4 and has any inkling or desire or likeness of Spider-Man, the story is phenomenal. I cannot say anything because... No spoilers. Everyone online, for the most part, has been pretty decent about not spoiling some of the stuff. Some of it's fairly predictable, but some of the stuff toward the end, 
Um, I think a lot of longtime Spider-Man fans are either going to respond with a, it's about fucking time or holy shit. They really did that um, with the ending part. Um, in addition to that, I'm still playing uh, occasionally Final Fantasy X HD on my PlayStation 3. Uh, you know, I've probably been trying to finish that for months now. Uh, the other game I'm currently playing, and I'm pretty close to the end, I have a couple more paintings to go into, is Castlevania Portrait of Ruin uh, for the DS. And that one, I have to actually say, is probably um, one of the second best Castlevanias I've played since Castlevania 3 and Symphony of the Night. They take a lot from the Symphony of the Night formula, but they add their own uniqueness to it to keep and uh, a few other things to keep the tedium down that doesn't feel too repetitive. There's been a a couple of other, the symphony of the night clones that I started playing and maybe after 10 hours into them, I just kind of get bored. Cause like, wow, I, I've done this. I've beaten symphony of the night three or four times over the years, um, played it to death. Um, but portrait of ruin is actually very good. The animations are very impressive for the enemies and their death animations, lots of little unique things. Um, the painting mechanics are pretty interesting because you have the standard castle, but instead of them pulling the whole cheesy, oh, inverted castle thing that started with Symphony of the Night, you actually find these enchanted magical paintings throughout the castle and you go into them and they're a whole separate area. They're like another mini castle um, with different themes and things like that. You also have dual characters that you control, um, which I can't remember both their names off the top of my head. Uh, that you can switch through at any point in time. And there's uh, puzzles littered throughout that actually require smart and clever use of both the characters. Um, you can have both the characters follow you. They have separate inventory and equipment, things like that. So if anyone is a fan of uh, Metroidvanias or Symphony of the Night, things like that, and they have a DS or a 3DS for that matter, I definitely recommend grabbing Castlevania Portrait of Ruin. It's, uh, it's been fun. I am actually going to complete it. Very nice. Well, seeing as you're saying, uh, if it's on a DS or 3DS, if we have that, I'm actually wondering, can it be hacked onto the PS1 Classic? <laughs> <laughs> so, this week in the PS1 Classic, Saga. so uh, I, I've recently heard some stuff, and who hasn't heard stuff? Um, so, this article I'm looking at, is on Game Revolution, PlayStation Classic 60 Hertz, how to play PlayStation Classic games in 60 FPS. It was uh, published Tuesday, December 4th. So we're a little bit late looking at this article for the podcast, but I didn't know that this was out there. I didn't see this until recently. But basically, the already perceived to be rushed and choppy release of the PlayStation Classic is even worse. Don't forget the crappy games on the console. Well, despite the list of what they put out there, a lot of people were real upset about the uh, the PAL 50 hertz limit on a bunch of the games that were released on the console. So it turns out that, and I'll just look this up right here if you plug in a corsair k75 keyboard into the console and hit the escape key it will pull up the pcsx menu 
which is the menu for the emulator that Sony is using on the system. And Without that permission. Will then... <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'd add that. And that will launch the emulator menu where you could do all the stuff that people really wish you could actually do on the console from the get. So it can do all this stuff, but unless you own a Corsair K75 or something else applicable, you cannot go in and use multiple save states, alter the scan lines, and change the games to NTSC. Or uh, NTSC, yeah, I said that right. So it's like the console can do all the stuff that people want it to do, except they won't let you for some reason. Like, it's built into it. You don't even have to hack it to do this. You just need an escape button. It's ridiculous. So as much crap as we give Nintendo and their limited stock on classic consoles and such, I do have to say, at least Nintendo did the classic console right. As far as their release, not the release, as far as the actual console itself, the quality of it, how it plays, all of that's fine. Sony, obviously, this is a cash grab. I mean, it's a clear indication of cash grab at that point. Like, everything you've mentioned, the clear ability to do everything you want, it's just a show of laziness, mm-hmm. cash grab, and just rushing something into the market. Well, and the thing is, like, I'm waiting for some company out there. I was actually thinking this on my way over tonight. I was like, I've never owned a Dreamcast. I've, I could probably count on two hands the number of times that I've ever even played a Dreamcast. If they released a Dreamcast classic, like, everybody knows that it's going to get hacked. Like, I just saw a video the other day about piracy and anti-piracy programs, and everybody knows that games get cracked, ROMs get released, it happens. Uh, and I don't understand why the these companies don't just embrace that like why would you release something so bad with such a ridiculously limited amount of games like you'd be way better off saying hey we're gonna charge 120 dollars we're gonna give you two dual shock controllers wireless no even wired is fine even wired no but just follow me we're gonna 120 dollars we're gonna give you two DualShock controllers, we're going to release it with the best, I don't know, let's just say 50 games even. Like, that's even enough games to make that price point justifiable. Anybody would, like, I would totally buy that just for the fact that I could have a small, portable thing with two solid controllers, and I could literally play any game I wanted to, like, I know that the idea isn't to appeal to people to be able to hack your console and load stuff on it, but that's definitely the appeal to buy the, you know, SNES Classic. Like, once everybody got a hold of the NES Classic and they were like, we could put anything we want on this. And then everybody bought the NES Classic because they could do the same. Like, the PlayStation controller has barely changed between PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 3. So if you had the ability to put any PlayStation 1 game on there with their vast library and have two solid controllers, but no, 
We're just going to give you the old school boomerangs. You can never, ever play a game with analog on it. And we're going to release it with a 20 games, most of which nobody wants, half of which have the worst version we could release on it, and not even give you the option to change it, even though that exists naturally within the hardware they didn't even and software. Give us, they didn't even give us the best version of Cool Borders. I mean, come on. Come on. Hey, uh, by the way, your point on uh, the Dreamcast Classic, I'll have you know Sonic officially came out and said on hardtimes.net, the article's on our Facebook, you motherfuckers had your chance to buy the first one. No Dreamcast Classic. So just point it out there. I personally James? think uh, that... Um, one, I totally, well, let me finish this part, then we'll get back to the PS1 Classic. I was actually thinking um, Sega wouldn't necessarily, you know, advertise that they would do it, but I would, I have a strong feeling that if Sega was to put out a, a Dreamcast Classic, I would find it a little odd if they didn't just accidentally, wink, wink, uh, leave a way to play the uh, the GD-ROM files, which are what Dreamcast discs are. They're GD-ROM, not CD-ROM. Um directly in the system because honestly is such an amazingly common thing. Like I know that the, the earlier it was either the earlier or the later dreamcast, you had to actually patch the ISO before you burned it to a disc to get to play. But in my experience over the years, that was so extraordinarily rare. I've never seen one where the games had to be pre-patched. You could literally just burn them to the disc and pop them in there and they would just play. Well, that's um, like its whole legacy, isn't it? Like I, I was totally outside I just remember looking at Power Stone and being like, man, that's a game I'm never going to play, but it looks awesome. Mm -hmm. But like the legacy I know of the Dreamcast is that, yeah, it died because everybody had computers in the, you know, early 2000s and they just burned copies of the disc and it destroyed their whole market. Uh, generally, yes. Um, back in those days, CD burners were actually real expensive, like 100, 200 bucks, but... <clears throat> that was the thing. I mean, once one person had it and a, you know, a scene release group copied the game and cracked it or patched it or whatever and distributed it, you could just keep burning copies to tell the truth. I, you know, my first Dreamcast back in the day, there was a local comic book shop in town that funny enough, you'd go in there and sitting on the counter would be kind of two shoe boxes full of, uh, you know, cardboard sleeves with Dreamcast games. They were seven bucks a pop. And this is, you know, back in, you know, the mid 2000s, a couple of years after the Dreamcast release. So you best believe I'd go down there. It's like, oh, this game looks like ass and just has a black and white printout of the cover on here. But screw it. Seven bucks. Here you go. Now, granted, it wasn't a dollar, but still, you know, for seven bucks, I thought they were worth it at the time. So speaking of worth it and going back to my idea of a cool like essentially like a more of like a PSX classic than an actual PS one classic. So I think that everybody's been really, you know, watering at the mouth for an N64 classic. So if they do do one, mm -hmm. what are you willing to pay for it? If it were to come with four controllers because that's going to be our first console release for something that innately comes with, you know, four controller support without having to buy peripherals. Like they're never going to sell peripheral attachments for a PS one classic 
so that you can play four player games on it. Like that's not going to happen. So you're limited to two players, no analog sticks. Now we're talking four players on an N64. If they charge that much for a shitty PS1 classic, are we going to start reaching into, okay, what's, what's console territory? I mean, I bought my Vita for 250 If they sell a N64, which is like almost a 20-year-old console with four controllers for $200, is that... Is that retro with like some price adjustment or is that justifiable based off of the games list that they might release for it? Well, here's my thought on that. I highly doubt Nintendo is going to have a bundle of four controllers within a console. They will likely do something along the lines of an $80 price tag, maybe 100 depending on how successful or unsuccessful the PS1 is, the PS1 Classic, and then they will likely release that N64 with two controllers have Mario Kart or something else, Mario Party, in the actual console, and then sell you controllers separately for like 30 or 40 bucks. That's what Nintendo would do. That They would not right off the bat sell it at 200 I don't feel. They would force well, you no, to buy but that's, those controllers. Okay, so then $80 for the console with two controllers and then $80 more for two extra controllers, throw in tax, round it up. Mm-hmm. You're at 175 for an N64, which you know already before it's even released that you can hack every game ever made for the n64 onto it would you pay 160 to 175 dollars for that and the convenience of it all being in one small cute tiny little n64 i can tell you right off about no because out of the corner of my eye i'm looking at four n64 sitting on a shelf so personally no okay so where are all the N64 games? Where's every N64 game, John? And I only see two controllers. So I can assure give you. Give me two more controllers in every N64 game. So I have 32 controllers sitting out in the living room, and I have about 90 to 100 cartridges sitting in the living room that we could play right now. So that's that's our collection-wise. So as a collector, and have been doing this for quite a while, I would not touch a $200 N64 Classic with even a 20-foot pole. I can't speak for James, but I think he will probably share the same sentiment as me. Yeah, I absolutely... First off, let me say, this is Nintendo we're talking about, so I would be I would be fucking floored if it came with two controllers because um, they know damn well they could just sell them separately. Also, there is the logic of there isn't that many N64 games that utilized all four controllers, but unfortunately, uh, Reggie Philome, or Philome, had already um, officially spoken to say there was no plans for an N64 Classic, which I actually found disheartening. I had no interest in buying an NES Classic or a SNES Classic. Um, the N64 Classic I was interested in if they used a different system on chip, uh, you know, board, basically Android board inside of them that was a bit more powerful, um, which generally they would not because cost and things like that. Um, but I myself... No, I was actually thinking the whole time that y'all were chatting about it. I was like, well, you could do that, or I could spend a little bit less amount of money and just get an EverDrive 64 um, and an extra controller or two, seriously, um, instead of doing that. I can say that it is 100% doable. Um, uh, I never knew this thing existed until my buddy Jason. He owns one because he's a big Nintendo collector, so he loves grabbing odd things. 
there is a thing called the IQ, that's Q-U-E player. And what it is, is essentially a bit of an oversized N64 controller that works more or less like a, a plug and play console, like kind of like the AT Games console, but it's official licensed product that was made specifically for the Chinese Republic um, that came, you know, comes with a few games built in. And so it tells me right there, they're perfectly <clears throat> capable of, you know, back then more or less shrinking down or modifying the N64 guts to fit in such a small package. Whereas granted the, um, all the classic consoles are essentially Android emulation, uh, technically including the PSS, PS1 classic or whatever the heck they're calling the damn thing, basically where they stole the guy's work. Um, so it's totally doable, but no, I definitely would not come anywhere near a $200 price tag on that. And I think that would actually end up burning Nintendo if they, even with four controllers, I think that would end up burning them. I would expect if they were to try to do a, a Nintendo 64 classic, they would probably spring for $125 to $150 price tag just because they can. Now, the upside to the N64 classic is the majority of the best games on N64 are Nintendo first-party games. So we might actually be lucky and get more than just 20 games. We might get 30 or 40 um, because so many of them can be filled up with Nintendo properties and not have they don't have to pay out uh, licensing royalties. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be pissed because there won't be Banjo-Kazooie or Perfect Dark and other rare games since they got acquired by Microsoft. Um, they may not be able to work out a deal with Microsoft to be able to license those games back and just messy things like that. Yeah, I got you, man. Um, I mean, we had... Like, he's, he's counting up the SNES uh, classic. <laughs> How many games would it come with? 30 on that? Uh, dude, I haven't even honestly opened my SNES classic. It's sat on my shelf for the longest time so far. You're a shelf um, collector. Why, you? I've got the games in hard copy form. Why would I need to play with digital one right now? Well, now you're just um, a hoarder. Yeah, yeah, it's probably borderline hoarding. Um, so, yeah, while he's counting that, um, let's go ahead and move into our inflation deflation uh, title for this week. So, obviously, you didn't get a 21 chance. including the unreleased Star Fox 2. So, 21 total. That's not too bad. So, inflation deflation this week. Ryan and I, uh, moments ago before recording, uh, played probably 30, 40 minutes of Vampire Night on the PlayStation 2. It's a, uh, don't you dare put that up your shirt. Uh, it's basically a uh, gun con style game. So if you play Time Crisis or um, House of the Dead or any of those titles, Vampire Night is essentially the exact same thing as uh, as that. And so right now we don't have a gun con on us. Um, I think they go for about twenty bucks a pop. So it might be worth getting it just to replay that game because it was actually a lot of fun. But Ryan, I'll let you kind of get into the overall specs of the game when it was released and all that. But uh, as far as everybody listening is concerned, definitely enjoyed Vampire Night quite a lot while playing it. We didn't have the gun con, so we played on a uh, dual shot controller for each of us. Okay, so Vampire Night by Namco uh, released January 1st, year 2000, Y2K uh, for arcade, and then subsequently. Uh, November 16th, 2001 for PlayStation 2. So, you know, they fixed all those Y2K bugs and then ported it over to the PlayStation. It's a rail shooter by Namco. Um, it's, uh, let's see. Uh, it was released 
by uh, Sega's WoW Entertainment. And WoW Entertainment is responsible for a whole bunch of stuff. House of the Dead 3, uh, some uh, Lupin games, uh, Sega Tetris. Uh, you know, so they they definitely have some chops in uh, Skies of Arcadia Legends uh, for GameCube. You know, they've got some stuff under their belt, but it is so much like House of the Dead down to the voiceovers and the over-the-top weirdness and odd stiltedness of these characters being in a weird first person horror shooter game. It's very reminiscent of all that. If you haven't played house of the dead, I don't know who you are, but if you have, you know exactly what we, what we played basically. Yeah. And I got to say, I definitely enjoy those types of games. Every time I go to an arcade, that's exactly what I go to as a time crisis or house of the dead. This was actually a lot of fun, and I really wish we had a gun con right now to play that game. Definitely feel like we missed out on a lot. And, I mean, considering how far we got on just dual shocks, absolutely shocked me. Now, granted, we were playing on uh, easy mode because there's no way we were going to get that far in that title playing on normal or above well, with a dual shock. Without even testing too much, we automatically assumed that we needed to crank the sensitivity up to max in order to be able to flip around the screen. I wish I had had my sensitivity down lower because later on we found out there's like an accelerate button so that you could speed up. And I really wish that I had some more finesse, but I I kept saying like, I really think that I had a lot of fun even on the dual shock, like without the gun con, the way that it's meant to really be played. I had a bunch of fun doing that. And if we were to go back and play it again and, finesse the settings to actually get them to a better play state. I think that we could have done much better and, you know, had a blast. Like this is definitely a game that I could see actually playing for fun. Unlike some of the games that we've done on the inflation deflation before, where it's like, let's test the merit and see if this is worth the price or not. I mean, one, one and a half, missions into the game i i was ready to say that this game is uh deflated man i think this game is worth the price of a mission which as of today on price charting 439 for a loose copy 648 complete 1672 new i would say go on somewhere Buy it for that four thirty nine market price, or you know what, splurge and get a box with it, and the manual, and then shoot yourself over to eBay and buy yourself a used GunCon two light controller for seventeen bucks. I totally say I would pay twenty five bucks to play this game. Well, you know, I guess if you're getting into two gun cons, now we're getting pricey. Well, think of it this way, man. Um, yeah, I mean. 42 bucks, maybe 50, you get two gun cons in the title itself. But if you look at it from a standpoint of if you 60 and I, bucks, two gun cons, a loose copy of the game, and a six pack, and you're going to have yourself a fun time. <laughs> exactly. Well but said. But, dude, imagine, 
imagine if we went to a movie theater and this game was sitting in an arcade and we were popping quarters in there to keep going, or I guess nowadays it's, you know, the card that you charge up and whatnot. How much would you have to pay to play that game and beat it all the way through? By the time you're done with your charge card and then multiple times coming back to the movie theater to play, you could have a gun con set up in your house. And I mean, that would just be fantastic to play on gun con. We're going to have to pick some up to play this game and beat it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things like I guess we could put a disclaimer on this one that it's a little bit reliant on the accessories. But I mean, I had fun with the controller so we'll put, you know, an asterisk next to that. And I think it's I think it's definitely a fun game for four bucks, you know, loose and change. Like it's it's definitely a pickup for me. This is a game that I would buy and I would play, but John already owns it, so I don't have to. Exactly. And then uh I guess we can get more into like the technical aspects of it. So the graphics I felt for a PS2 game were actually very good especially that type of game. Uh, those rail-type shooters for arcades, they don't really age poorly. They, well, they typically and that's the hold thing. Their... I mean, it was built for an arcade. Yeah, exactly. And so. if it was good enough for an arcade and they ported it over, I mean, that's good enough for me. Yeah, they don't they don't age poorly, so I think we're good on that. So the graphics are great. I thought the voice acting was right on par with any arcade rail shooter I've played, so that's a plus for me. Yeah, and it has that serviceable, you know quality of camp to it just like the house of the dead i mean it doesn't have that uh what is it where's g moment or whatever that's so famous from house of the dead and now i'm an idiot for not knowing it before saying it but you know it's got that same kind of quality to it i mean in the opening to the game you're treated to their dracula stand-in and then you get to scroll across his like chamber and see the five bosses, six bosses that you're going to fight and all of them throw in their opinions too. And it's like, oh my God, we are in for some weird vampire old school arcade voiceover stuff. Yeah. And honestly, I actually truly enjoyed it. I think this is the first PS2 game that we've done for an inflation deflation actually. And probably the best game we've done so far out of i would think so james you haven't you haven't been in these inflation deflation but going to what john said there is there because i'm not a collector i know you guys are collectors is there kind of a break point between how retro you get and the price point like we've looked at some games for you know, SNES that really, I mean, they're not that expensive, but they're more expensive than I'm willing to play for. But just the sheer, you know, amount of game you can get out of a PS2 game just inherently seems worth more at a mediocre price point. Okay, I'll get what you're asking. All right, so essentially for us as collectors, we don't always and i would say we probably rarely um consider the actual playability of a lot of the games we pick up um that's not necessarily that we don't pick up games that we actually really want to play and we do of course pick up games that we'll probably never play we call it uh, shelf dressing that's uh the the term we coined for it, shelf dressing 
um, because either it was very inexpensive or sometimes there's just that bit of an itch like, oh, I have, you know, the first two Double Dragons and I know Double Dragon 3 is god awful, but I got that itch to complete them. Um, John and I, for the most part, were both uh, cheap bastards when it comes to collecting. Uh, one, because John's a cheap bastard in a good way. Trust he's a good cheap bastard, folks. I can confirm this. Yes, indeed. I myself, I'm a cheap bastard because one, I'm just not a big fan of pissing away money, but also because I started collecting a long time ago, like 10 years or so ago. So when I was collecting, I was a guy who was annoying the piss out of like the original Nintendo Age collector guys going on Goodwill auction and things like that. Um, but I got accustomed to just like, oh, I'll just casually stroll through thrift stores or the flea market and pick up games for a dollar two dollars or five dollars um and things like that and over time you know is when they started moving up initially you know especially at flea markets some of the smarter sellers will start noticing a little bit of a demand but for the most part it was still like you know hey you know how much do you want for this copy of bubble bobble it's like ah five bucks cool you know back when it was like an $18 game I don't know what it is now because I don't bother keeping track for the most part but as far as do I think a game with more playability should is worth paying more for honestly that's completely subjective to the person um, I myself like the amazing spider-man on ps4 I would say to most people yes it can be a fairly short game um, which I'm actually pretty good pretty okay with but the amount of content, the uh, the entertainment value you get out of it at sixty bucks, totally worth it. Um, that wouldn't stop me from saying like, ah, eh, you know, just wait till Christmas; it'll hit forty bucks or possibly even thirty by it then. Um, but specifically with the retro games, some of them do have a high amount of replayability, and would I say it scales well with what they cost? Not really. So, for example, North and South on NES. Um, I'm not sure what it goes for now. It used to be, an, it's a fairly uncommon NES game and probably hit around 40 bucks. It's probably like 30 bucks or 25 now, but the game itself is actually a lot of, a lot of fun, especially in the two player versus mode. It's a uh, 3192 currently on NES. Okay. So I'm not too far off and that's actually come down a little bit. I think, um, would I say that's worth 30 bucks? Eh, not really. It is fun, but it's more like an afternoon of fun. Um, there's not a whole ton of replayability. Um, some games of course do, uh, for instance, you know, let's say the original super or not super, but just street fighter two turbo edition on super Nintendo. Um, you know, for 10, 15 bucks, probably, especially replaying with your, with your buddies games like Tekken three on the PS one, you know, has a ton of replayability. You know, it's just, that's one of those games that's just fun to play with a friend. Um, some games stack up well in a single player mode, you know, the original Legend of Zelda, if you dig Zelda or even a link to the past, Super Metroid, things like that to me are, or even Super Mario World totally worth 20, 25 bucks because I've been playing them since I was a kid and I still enjoy it when I play it. I don't, you know, start playing and go, Oh God, I've done this before so much. No, I still sit down as like, oh man, this is great. And it's not just nostalgia feel. It's actually, it, um, games like that for me, the reason I, I still enjoy them is because they make it easy to slip into the zone where you're kind of just 
zoomed in on what you're doing and what you're playing and everything else is disappearing. It's the escapism that gives it value for me. Uh, what do you think, John? Um, I'd agree with you, man, but I, I would also say that a big reason for this difference in price point, why, why are you handing this to me? What's So I'm handing John his still in-box copy of the Super Nintendo Classic, which has just about every game, Street Fighter, mm-hmm. Super Mario World, Zelda, Super Metroid, all of those are all included in that for a nice, fully packaged, contained $80 Oh, so you're asking in context mint. of the the classic systems like that um then yes for someone who obviously isn't a collector because that's who those were geared toward they were geared toward the nostalgia seeking market uh, but even someone not buying them for nostalgia i would say for 80 dollars, yes you'll you'll totally get your plenty of value of uh, entertainment out of it should you use it just the same as you know, this uh, eight or $10 novel I'll pick up and buy, you know, the, we'll say roughly 10, 12 hours of actual time spent reading it. If even that um, spread out across that will totally feel like it's worth the value to me. Um, But I think so. And just to get back to uh, your question towards me, as far as agreeing overall, I would say I do agree with every point you made. However, one thing to point out is I think a big difference in the prices and why we see something like a PS2 game. Cause I mean, honestly the highest price PS2 game outside of like, if you went in like some crazy special edition or whatever is like 230 bucks complete in box, which I think is Kuon or rule of Rose. Those two are like the top most expensive titles. And uh, overall, I mean, if you kind of look at from a generation standpoint, the N64 kind of it was at its cusp just a couple years ago i think ps1 out the classic we're going to start seeing those prices go up even higher and then ps2 i mean it's always based on the generation that nostalgia effect and we're kind of i feel past the nostalgia effect on nes and snes the classics have obviously had a lot to do with those prices dropping i feel um now there's a lot of games out there that are obviously rare or uncommon that are never truly going to drop to like two dollars but i mean you can right now pick up a copy of you know donkey kong country 2 is like 13 dollars on ebay i can tell you four or five years ago that game was going for like 30 online so there's obviously been a significant shift in the price of games on those consoles so i think what you're seeing on the nes and snes titles that's kind of their that's their point that's a correction in the gaming like retro gaming market i feel like that's where they're going to stay for a while is where they're at now well and there's got to be some level i'm looking up here i pulled up a uh wiki on best-selling game consoles. so the playstation 2 is the best selling game console according to this at uh just over 155 million while the uh, Super Nintendo sits down at a forty nine point ten million. So it's like with the vast superior number of consoles sold, a lot of games like Vampire Night, they're just gonna print more copies because there's more people out there to play it. Like not there's necess- not necessarily a game. There's over three times as many PlayStation twos in the world as there are 
Super Nintendos. Like, but that's I mean, not necessarily true. So a game like Rule of Rose, I want to say, had a print set of somewhere in the 20,000 range globally. So like that's a game that if you think about 150 million consoles sold, and I want to say it's more PS2s than 150 million, but if you look at that many consoles... Yeah, it's over 155 million. Yeah, so 155 million, and a game like Rule of Rose, I want to say is 20,000 copies worldwide. So 20,000 to 155 million. If you really consider like the rarity from that game from a, a percentage standpoint, that's ridiculous how rare that title is for that console. And then you look at something like earthbound on the uh on the super nintendo i think earthbound was one hundred and seventy-five thousand units sold at its point in time so i mean yeah these games there was more consoles released but a lot of these games truly are uncommon because they just didn't think to print a whole bunch if they weren't selling well why are you going to print more and waste resources so that's that's really when you when you look at it from that perspective there are a lot of titles that really like literally are rare or uncommon um whether or not they're good is a different case but there are titles out there that from a rarity standpoint do hold that status of rare so um without digging too deep into that um overall like i said man earlier i enjoyed vampire night you enjoyed I, vampire I definitely night did james would definitely enjoy vampire mm-hmm. night hopefully he watches a let's play um i think we're getting to end here. Wow, this is the longest recording we've done in quite some time. So that's because James is on. Uh, so basically, I think we need to decide our inflation deflation for next week, unless somebody has a say in what we're doing next week. Hinting to James. Okay. James. Do you hear that? What's that? That's the sound of pain. About yes, it is. I have something for you, John and Ryan. I have okay. something from your past that you thought you got away from. Oh, God. Oh it's God. probably the last crappy game challenge I was supposed to do. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. No, 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 no. I took the time to peruse through your collection. And to be quite honest, at a certain point, I was ready to call bullshit on some of the PS1 games I saw in your collection. Except that there's definitely cover art to prove that these games were actually a thing. But as I was going through one in particular caught my attention that I had to watch at least a little bit of it on YouTube. I didn't make it to the five second mark before I knew it was the one. Oh God. What is it? Please just lay it on us. Ryan, your crappy game challenge is to play 30 minutes of Miss Spider's Tea Party on the PS1. No, I knew it. I knew it was that or Blue's Clues. Oh, Blue's Clues was too obvious. But this, this is, uh, please do a Let's Play of it, or at least record your commentary, because this game is, uh, this is something interesting for those listening and are curious who I I assume can't Google on their office. Oh, no. I found Imagine, it. Imagine. Like, oh, God. I remember seeing this book at the Scholastic Book Yes, Fair. there we go. Thank <laughs> you, Ryan. Very good. Perfect. Yes, oh, just imagine no. one of those early to mid-90s kids edutainment style horribly animated what's games. It, what's it going for? Please, we have to mix this with inflation deflation. What is a going rate? Ryan, you need to look this up quickly while I peruse through it. I'll have you know, apparently... This game was purchased in 2013. That's a Goodwill sticker. 
for $2.59. I likely talked them down, though. Oh, my God. The Crickets Band Game. The Crickets need to form a band. Can you match each musical sound with its instrument? Oh, God. The Beatles River Cross Game? That kind of looks like Frogger. That might be fun. The bee flower matching game. The bees have to pollinate flowers. Each bee has a flower in mind. Can you find and choose ones they're thinking of? Dude, I hate you. Hey, it's one player, but we could take turns, Ryan. All right. It is 325 loose, <laughs> 677 new. Hey, so look at that. The only thing we need to determine is, is it, is it worth it, the initial is, two? Is Vampire Knight worth 70 to 80 cents more? Than Miss Spider's Tea Party. Here, here's the best part about it, you guys. I paid two dollars and fifty nine cents. That means this game has inflated over the last five years to that price. Point. This game has appreciated in value. And just think, gents. One oh, day God. when we actually have Dude. more than a handful of listeners, we'll be able to artificially inflate the value of this game. <laughs> hey, I'll have you know we doubled our subscribers since last week. Um, Thanks to Ryan. Dude. I actually took the time to buff this game at my old work. It's perfect condition. I can't even get out of this to say it's scratch. We can't play it. It is. It is fate. Absolutely. Oh God. Hey, if you open it up, it's actually got Miss Spider with her tea party. Interesting. I will say this is a quite colorful game and Miss Spider's tea party invites children three to se- Oh, I'm sorry, Ryan, you can't play. Only three to seven. I'm I'm really sorry. To enter David that's just Kirk's a, world that's just of color a battle you have wonder. to fight on your own. Eight games provide hours <sighs> of fun. I I don't think that's true. With a healthy serving, hours hours literally just means more than one hour. Oh, here actually here's where Ryan can get tied in. Uh, with a healthy serving of age appropriate basic skills practice, this will be appropriate. Okay, yeah. Lots of beautiful 3D images and animation. Do I have to play this on the 55 inch? <laughs> in a 4k quality on the ps3 um hmm, that's a good question yes yes or can we play it on oh no 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 i want the first i would like you to play it on the crt so you can see how god awful those graphics are and the way that they're meant to be represented then i would like you to take that 380i or maybe 240p god awful jagged pixelated claymation wannabe graphics and stretch them across your lovely 4k resolution 55 inch tv oh yes yes indeed hey uh, you know what reading this at least it has analog control compatibility oh shit well we can't play it on the the time space continuum breaks and uh, James shows up. I'm leaving you on your you own. You definitely room. should, Ryan, and because I'm, I found my the next opportunity that I get to give him a crappy game challenge, I found the next one. And I'm going to make a point to have this tattooed on my hand so I will not forget this time. You know, whenever you move into our city, and we can do this in person, so anybody listening, James is remote currently, you will have to join us on these crappy game challenges. So Remote from the past. Uh, from the past, that is correct. We could just like hang the controller yeah, out the so, door or uh, something. Oh, God. It's going to be terrible. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think that concludes our episode this week. That's a downer. What a way to screw up the week. Oh, that's such music to my ears. Oh, yes. Oh, Your tears are so God, sweet, John. Brutal. All right. I guess we're playing this next Wednesday. Sounds good. So we might want to play this this weekend just to get it out of our system. We'll figure it out. 
So this has been the Game Deflators podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm John. And I am James from the past. Maybe. Perhaps from the future. Me too. All right. Well, this has been all three of us. And we are. The Game Deflators. The Game game Deflators. We are, hold on, we got to sync that. One, two, three. Deflators. The game deflators. <laughs> All right. Well, he's in the past, right. so it's fine. One comes after. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See ya. See ya.